Hi folks and welcome to Restoring History. I am Mike Kelleher and today I'll be joined by Heather Bates with the news. But first, well today I just want to talk a little bit about our master series and why I think it's not just a cool project but an important one. Well, we've been getting orders from all over the world, and I never considered that a possibility. So a huge thank you to everyone that's ordered so far. If you haven't ordered yet, please visit Calistration.com and order your copies now. Despite doing such a large quantity of high-profile work, we're still a small business, and this important project can't continue unless we get enough support. So please, if you've been on the fence about buying a set of prints, do it right now. And if you haven't considered it at all, Still, still, please buy a copy right now at K-E-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. And so let me tell you why I think the Master Series is important. You may or may not know about the National Film Preservation Foundation and the National Film Registry. These are organizations that years ago realized that some films are gone. They just don't exist anymore. For various reasons, the negatives and copies of the films didn't survive. Film gets old and decays. Old film may have been destroyed to make room for new inventory, or they're just simply lost. So the NFPF took on the task of finding rare and or damaged films and preserving them. They transferred the film to an archival uh, media and, in some cases, restored the images to make the video look as clean and true as possible. They not only rescue films that are in danger of decaying into a literal pile of dust, They choose a few films every year, and they find the best source material, usually the the original cut or the negatives of the film, and they restore it so that generations to come will have near-perfect copies of movies to enjoy in all of its intended glory. Um, Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, Blazing Saddles, um, Vertigo, Pulp Fiction, uh, even the Zabruder film, The Kennedy Assassination. Just some of the hundreds of films that the film registry has preserved. My great-grandchildren won't be subjected to scratchy, dull, grainy copies of the films like I was back in the 1980s. Uh, well, yeah, you know, Pulp Fiction from the 90s, but you know what I'm talking about. After years years of work restoring uh, Marvel Comics, Gold Key Comics, Archie Comics, ACG, Warren... Uh, all kinds of other publishers, it was easily clear that a lot, uh, no, not just a lot, most original art and film for comics is just gone. Film for these books are gone. All we're left with are inferior, if just not downright horrible, copies of the printed comics. To revisit the comparison to film, the quality of art in a printed comic is comparable to... um, (laughs) Have you ever seen a bootleg of a film from the 1990s? You know, when someone would sneak into uh, the theater with a VHS camera and they'd videotape it from the left side of the the back row, uh, then sell it to the impatient movie fans who didn't want to rent the tape, wait nine months to rent the tape. Uh, The video was blurry, the audio was horrendous, and you could hear and see extraneous stuff that was going on in the theater. Well... That's the perfect comparison for what printed comics were relative to the original art. Now, sadly, people like me grew up not knowing any better. We assumed the comic books were supposed to look like that. We thought the colors were printed outside of the lines on purpose. Hell, even cartoons in the 1950s and 60s started knocking colors outside of the lines in the backgrounds. 
uh, if you look at the back, you'll see like houses painted in the backgrounds and the colors are just like a block outside of the lines. And that added to the idea that it was intentional in comic books. We looked at it as a style instead of the crappy quality that it really was. Now, fast forward to the year 2015, we're seeing a huge, I mean huge number of collected editions that are simply scanning these terribly printed books and regurgitating them to the public with either little, no, or or worse, uh, unskilled restoration. And the fans seem to be eating it up. And I believe it's because they don't know better. I didn't know better. And that's why I think the Master Series is so important. We're, we're going beyond the let's make a buck mentality and saying, let's fix this. Let's give these artists and their work the respect they really deserve. When I found out there was a small amount of Little Nemo and Slumberland original art left in the world, that became my focus. McKay is not only the grandfather of animation, he literally laid the groundwork for comic strip and comic book artists. His craftsmanship wasn't just incredible for his day, it was, just, it was simply incredible. If he drew those strips today, 110 years later, they'd be heralded as masterpieces. So that's where we've started here at Calistration. A couple little Nemo strips. I'm hoping that we'll be able to expand into restoring the work of other artists and characters, but we need a lot of help with that. The upfront cost of licensing some of this work that we want to restore is astronomical. So I'm asking, <laughs> hell, I'm begging on behalf of the spirits of artists long past, spread the word, shout it from the mountaintops. This artwork deserves to be preserved. It deserves to be properly restored. You deserve to see this art presented properly. You, you as comic fans. You as art fans. And please, you know, don't think for a second that, oh, well, I'll just skip Little Nemo because other people buy them and then I'll just pick up the ones that I want. Well, first, if you don't buy these, we won't get to the strips you want. And second, you want these Little Nemo strips. You, as arrogant as that may sound. You may not know it yet, but once you have it in your hands, well, assuming that you really care about comics and comic art, you'll know that you wanted these. These are just, they're gorgeous. They're beautiful. His, Windsor McKay's artwork is beautiful. It costs us a small fortune to restore this work correctly. So please take a look at our site, kellustration.com, K-E-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N.com, and purchase a set of the Master Series prints. And know that you're not only getting some incredible art, but you're supporting an incredibly important project. So go ahead, pause this podcast, go to calistration.com, order your prints, then come back and listen to the nonsense that I have to fill up the rest of this hour. All right. Since I'm already straining to pat myself on the back, uh, telling you how important the Master Series is, uh, let me tell you about a failed experiment I did that ended up raising a few thousand dollars for charity. Back in my early days of art restoration, I was experimenting with different techniques to make line restoration look natural. I'd been doing color restoration for a while already, but I was drifting into the realm of line art restoration, and, and I felt that my work, as well as all the other digitally restored work I was seeing, looked mechanical. Uh, borders were too straight and perfect, lines were too smooth, and they lost the personality of the anchor. It, it, it looked like a computer was, was restoring the work. So I tried a lot of different methods before coming to an idea. Uh, the art was originally drawn on paper, so in order to make it, make it look natural, I should redraw it on paper. So I bought the best light boxes and art projection cameras and started uh, 
the laborious process of redrawing dozens of covers in interior pages by hand. Well, after I finished the first few pages, which took me a, a good day per page to trace, I scanned them into Photoshop and set my new drawings over a scan of the printed comic. And not surprising, even to me at the time, my art didn't completely match the printed comic. So I started the, again, labor's process of fixing my lines in Photoshop. And I fixed the borders and I fixed the lettering. And after a full day of restoring a page, I realized I literally just spent a day erasing what I drew and replacing it with the exact method that I was avoiding, which was giving which was using Photoshop to mechanically trace each line of the original printing, thus giving me the mechanical feeling uh, that I was trying to avoid. And stupidly, I didn't give up. I, I thought it through and realized that the problem was that I wasn't exact enough with my drawings. So I studied the inking techniques of Dick Ayers and I think it was Don Heck and anyone else who had inked the, iron, uh, the line art that I was working on at the time. Because, uh, you know, at this level, the, the penciler is inconsequential. In reality, when we're restoring line art, we're restoring the work of the inker, not the penciler. So after lots of studying, lots of practice, I figured out a few things and created some more drawings, each one getting a little closer to what I was trying to accomplish. But with art restoration, especially what we were trying to accomplish with Marvel Masterworks, the word closer is meaningless. If it's, not a, if it's not spot on, it's crap. And that's what I was refusing to accept. The drawings I was restoring were close, but not close enough. In every single case, I ended up spending close to a day redrawing the page, and then another day digitally fixing all the problems. And the end result were basically what I would have gotten if I just did it all digitally. Uh, but of course, this way, it took me twice as long to do it. There are a few positive things I got out of it, though. Doing that level of scrutinizing showed me how drawing ink reacted to paper, and it helped me recreate the haphazard textures we see on the edges of lines. And I used that to look at the printed comic and help determine what was hand-drawn lines and what was a printer's inking smear or just, a, uh, just crappy printing. And in the end, it was a very expensive uh, but valuable lesson that I was able to translate into my work and make the restorations more accurate. Well, fast forward a few months, and I had dozens of drawings laying around my studio. Uh, I'm afraid to sell them because I don't want to jeopardize my job working for Marvel, and I don't want to throw them away, so I came up with an idea. I contacted my editor at Marvel Masterworks, and asked him if he thought it would be okay if I gave these pieces of art to charity, uh, specifically a charity called Actor, which is now known as the Hero, Init Hero Initiative. It's a charity that helps artists uh, that uh, have financial needs. And he put me in contact with Marvel's legal department, who gave me the okay to sell the artwork as long as the money went to charity. And a good friend of mine owns an art gallery in Burbank, California, not too far from the Hero Initiative. And so, shout out to Bill Schaefer at the Hyena Gallery. He's the coolest art gallery on the planet. If you're ever out in uh, Los Angeles, Burbank area, go give him a visit. Really cool place. And he graciously offered to host the event. I don't remember how much money we raised, but it was, it was thousands. I was really happy with what we did. And, uh, of course... 
as the saying goes, no good deed goes unpunished. And about a year and a half later, uh, someone decided to use our charity event to throw my name into a like a $20,000 art fraud that turned out not to be fraudulent. Uh, sadly, you got to expect things like that in the internet age. Uh, but despite all the problems that came from it, the lost time, the lost money, the aggravation of defending myself against a criminal accusation, I'm proud of what came out of that failed experiment. Joining me today is Heather Bates. Hi, Heather. Hi. Um, warm enough for you outside? Yeah, balmy. <laughs> I don't think we've gotten above freezing again, have we? I have no idea. Yeah, no, me either. Anyway, on today's show, it's just going to be me and you talking for a little while. Oh, that'll be fun. You got some news for us. I do. All right, let's get to it. Heather Bates with the news. All right. From the Marvel Movie Universe, Thor just can't get enough of Earth. The Asgardian superhero returns for Marvel's highly anticipated Avengers Age of Ultron. Chris Hemsworth, who has played the mighty Avenger. He's beautiful. He is very handsome. (laughs) Since Marvel's Thor in 2011, wields the hammer for a fourth time. Coming off of Thor The Dark World and Marvel's The Avengers, I couldn't wait to read this, recalls Hemsworth. I just loved how it upped it in a way that wasn't just bigger and flashier. Everything had been amplified, but in an intelligent way. I read on the new, little news blurbs this week that something big was going to happen, and they're kind of speculating that either Jane Foster or Eric is going to get killed. I've heard that. Yeah, I hope it's Jane. I'd, I'll, I'll be happy to just happy to get rid of that character. This is just a horrible character. I thought she did a pretty good job. Oh, I... I it, she just fell into that very stereotypical Hollywood. If she's going to be a strong woman, she has to be a bitchy woman. I just didn't. I did, I. I just didn't like to. And it, it's not. A, uh, what's her name? Uh, Natalie Portman. Yeah. Nothing against Natalie Portman. I love Natalie Portman. But I just thought the character of Jane Foster was just awful. Is it close I, to what's in the comic book? Um. Oh, probably not. Because <laughs> as bad as Hollywood is, especially back in the 1960s, comic books were a lot worse in their portrayal of uh, portrayal of women. I'm pretty sure that Sue Storm was probably doing the laundry for the Fantastic Four throughout all of that. But anyway. Oh, jeez. Thor's relationship with his brother Loki, the villain of Marvel's The Avengers, proved one of the driving forces of that film. Now, Thor continues to bring a different perspective to the central conflict. We pick up with Thor having stayed on Earth from Thor the Dark World, establishes Hemsworth. He's part of the team. This is his home for the moment. We're not as conflicted as we were before, promises Hemsworth. Adding the superpowered twins, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, into, into the film helped to keep them from falling into too much of a familiar rhythm in Hemsworth's eyes. It shakes things up, he elaborates. In the individual films, you get comfortable. You get into a rhythm or a routine, and you think that you know it until there's a challenge, and you think, oh yeah, that's right, there is really another option here. Oh my god, I had I edited down what he was talking about, because I thought it was going to go on way too long. I should have kept editing. This guy's boring as hell. But he's cute, so it, it's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, well, but, yeah, but I can't see him. The sexiest man alive. Is he? Yes. Yeah, but I now, maybe I should bring a picture. You know what? I'll bring a picture of him up on the internet, and then while you're talking, I'll just stare at him. We'll see if that helps. Okay. Sounds good. Right. Just remember to keep breathing. <laughs> we keep changing it and mixing it up. This new cast breaks the familiar rhythm that we may have, and it makes it a bit more unpredictable. 
Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron comes out on May 1st, 2015. That's only two months from now. And we're going to go see it, right? Yes, we are. Oh, of course. I can't wait. It's been a while. When was the last Marvel movie? My goodness, it was last year, obviously. So just Guardians of the Galaxy. Was Guardians of the Galaxy the last Marvel movie? I think so. Oh, my. Did X-Men come out after that? Well, well, and of course, that's... Uh, X-Men was before, okay. I think. Yeah, and I don't know if I should even count it as... I guess you do have to count it as a Marvel movie, but I'm thinking of the Marvel Universe. I don't even remember the last one that we saw together, though. Uh, I don't remember either. Because we skipped, we skipped all, all the X-Men ones, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I don't either. I don't. I, well, I skipped Spider-Man last year, too. So Yeah, we didn't see that either. The only, the only Marvel movies last year were Captain America... And Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't think I saw either one of those. No. With Killistration. No. No? I don't think so. Where were you? I never got invited. Oh. I'm not going to just invite myself. Huh. I'm trying to remember if anybody else came along with us. No, I don't even remember. Well, I'm game for for, uh, Age of Ultron. Well, you got it on tape. Yes. You can come with us. All right. You got to sit behind us, though. Okay. I'll bring my own snacks. Shall I keep going? Yes, please. From our friends over at MarvelMasterworks.com, Sweet Christmas. Uh, that's a good reading. <clears throat> In August, Marvel will be releasing their 222nd volume of Marvel Masterworks. This collection, collection featuring Luke Cage, Hero for Hire. Luke Cage. That's a guy, uh, Nicholas Cage, actually named himself after... Luke Cage. I do know that little tidbit of information. What was his real name? He's uh, 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 Coppola. Nick Coppola. Nick Cop- Nicholas Coppola. Or Coppola, however you're... I don't know. About. I think it's Coppola, but... Could be. I don't know. Well, it's Frank Francis Ford Coppola, right? I thought it was, I always thought it was Coppola. Oh. All right. I don't know the guy, so I'm not worried about saying his name, name wrong. <laughs> Me neither. All right. Luke Cage burst onto the comic scene in 1972. Pow, zap. Burst onto the scene, adding sound effects. <laughs> Equal parts Marvel method and black exploitation boldness. <laughs> no better mix on the planet for entertainment. Oh my goodness, he was a new kind of hero for a new era. Now the Marvel Masterworks presents the complete Luke Cage hero for hire, the historic first title to headline an African American superhero in one hardcover volume. Cage's adventures depicted New York City's 1970s grit and the plight of its people unlike any other, all while incorporating larger-than-life villains, including Black Mariah and Doctor Doom. From Cage's... (laughs) (laughs) They fit perfect... Black Mariah and Doctor Doom fit perfectly in the same category. Yeah, oh my... (laughs) I don't even know. Okay. From Cage's origin story to his first exploits as the hard-as-steel hero, each issue has been painstakingly restored and collected here in By me. And me. And you. For the very first time. credit, though. (laughs) Well, you organized the whole thing. That's That's right. right. (laughs) Uh, Collecting Hero for Hire 1972, 1 through 16, Luke Cage Masterworks is scheduled to be released on August 19th, 2015. Hero for Hire was a great idea, especially back then. Just the idea that you could go out and hire a superhero for a day. I don't read what I work on. I, I know you don't read read these things. It's, it's terrible. I don't have time, Mike. Yeah, I know. You're too busy working on this stuff. 
Yeah. Well, I, t- I took the time. I had, I had honestly, I'd never read uh, the majority of uh, the Luke Cage books. And I knew, you know, of course, I, I know the origins of most of the characters, but I never read the, read the first issue. So I was able to sit down and read some of these books for the first time. And it was, uh, it was fun. I liked it. I highly recommend this one. Cool. Next. An icon returns in Astro Boy Omnibus Volume 1. Boasting nearly 700 pages of content for only $19.99. That's a good deal. Dark Horse Comics Astro Boy Omnibus Volume 1 features Osamu Tezuka's most popular and influential work. I'm sure you did better than I could have with that name. Detailing Astro Boy's jet-powered, super-strong, evil-bashing adventures. Exciting, whimsical, and touching, Astro Boy brings back a classic era of comics and animation featuring tales that readers both young and old will enjoy. Collecting rare and out-of-print material, the oversized Astro Boy Omnibus Collection is the first in a series that brings back Tezuka's beloved character for a whole new generation to enjoy. I got to uh, do the color restoration on a bunch of the covers for their... uh, They've been reprinting the older uh, Yusagi Yojimbo books. Um... Oh, wait, are we talking about Yusagi Ujimbo or Astro Boy right now? Astro Boy. But thank you for um, that saying that, that guy's that name. Yeah. yeah. What, what guy? Yusagi Ujimbo. Is that the next story? Yes. Oh, okay. I was wondering how I was going to be saying that. Oh, okay. Yusagi Ujimbo. I'm not um, done with Astro Boy story. Oh, then what am I talking about Yusagi Ujimbo for? Because you just cut in. Oh, wow. Pre-order Astro Boy Omnibus Volume 1 on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound, or contact a local comic shop with Comic Shop Locator. Astro Boy Omnibus Volume 1 is scheduled for a September 2015 release. All right. I didn't do any restoration work on Astro Boy, so forget anything that I said earlier, because it was on Usagi Ujimbo. And speaking of Usagi Ujimbo... The return of Usagi Ujimbo... While spring showers usually bring Mayflowers, <laughs> they will bring something far more exciting this year. The triumphant return of Stan Sakai and his beloved rabbit Ronin in Usagi Ujimbo number 145. Yes. For the first time since February 2012, Usagi is back in his ongoing series. Kicking off with a new one-shot story in Usagi Ujimbo 145, the series continues as Usagi finds himself caught up in a fight between his thief friend Kitsune and a ninja intent on getting the mysterious scroll Kitsune stolen at any cost. One of NPR's best books of 2014, the long-running series by Stan Oh, goodness. Sakai has garnered a vast amount of critical acclaim, and the return of the Usagi Ujimbo ongoing series heralds the fantastic next chapter in Sakai's incredible saga. Pre-order your copy of Usagi Ujimbo in Usagi Ujimbo 145 today. That's a tongue twister. Is that the end of that story? Yes. All right, good. I, I did the color restoration on some of the Usagi Ujimbo uh, reprints that Dark Horse has been putting out there. That's what I said earlier, but now I'm saying it in the right place instead of jumping ahead. Thank you. If I was paying attention earlier, then maybe it would have made a lot more sense. Stop staring at Chris Hemsworth. 
Oh, I, I can't. <laughs> that long hair. I love it. <laughs> All right. From Dynamite Entertainment, Will Eisner's The Spirit returns with multiple Eisner Award winner Matt Wagner. Oh, <laughs> see? Eisner, Eisner Award. Oh. See? That's named after Eisner. I see what yeah. they did there. And you don't even know who Will Eisner is, do you? Nope. So That's sad. Okay. It's sad. It's not okay. Writing the character for the first time in his career. The all-new ongoing series is slated to debut in July at Comic-Con International in San Diego as part of the character's 75th anniversary celebration. The series is the first project to be undertaken as part of a previously announced partnership between Dynamite and the Will Eisner estate. While no artist has been announced for the series, the first issue will feature cover art by Wagner, Alex Ross, and Eric Powell. I discovered the spirit via the black and white magazine-sized reprints of the mid-70s, Wagner said via, via press release. It was the first time that I truly perceived sequential narrative as a legitimate art form of the immense creative power of a comic artist in his prime. It is such an immense thrill and a professional honor to have the chance to contribute to Will Eisner's legacy on the milestone 75th anniversary of his most influential and iconic character. Yeah, it is. Anybody would be honored to work on that. You know, you're, you're, oh, I wish you were familiar with it. It's, it's, it's just such an amazing, well, an amazing uh, artist and an amazing uh, character and an amazing series from a long time ago. Way, way back. Yes. 75 years, did they say? Yep. Wow, that seems crazy. <laughs> We are very excited that Dynamite has taken on the challenge of bringing back Will Eisner's iconic character, The Spirit, along with the emblematic cast of characters featured in new stories and adventures. Nancy and Carl Gruper said in a joint statement on behalf of the Eisner estate, It's a huge challenge given the 75 years of great storytelling and artwork by the Grandmaster and a pantheon of award-winning creators. Pantheon, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. Will Eisner's The Spirit hits comic shops in July 2015. Nice. Wasn't there a movie? Of The Spirit? Yes. Yes, but let's not talk about that. It was bad. It was really bad. Who was in it? Um, the only person I remember being in it was um, Nick Fury, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh. And I'm embarrassed for him. It was, it was bad. I'm pretty sure... Uh, Frank Miller directed it, if not directed in, wrote, wrote, that doesn't, written, wrote? He wrote it. He wrote it. For some reason, that word sounded really weird to me for a second. So, he wrote or written it. Well, now written. He sounds, write it. He write, he write it. It actually sounds better than wrote for, for some reason at the moment. Anyway, yeah, it was, it was horrible. And I love Frank Miller and I love the spirit and I love uh, Samuel L. Jackson. But apparently if you put all them together, you get crap. That's sad. sad. Yes, it is. Oh, so what else you got for us? And to finish off today's news, the nerd world lost one of its most influential people this week. Leonard Nimoy passed away on oh. February 27th in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. I was very sad to hear yeah, that. It was, yeah, it was... He's just, he was just he's just one of those guys that I mean if you if you grew up any time after the after the year 1965 you knew who this guy was Absolutely. you know uh, I mean, he was just so recognizable I mean and even if even if all he did was Star Trek I think everybody would uh, 
would know him, but when you know when, when I was a kid, well, you probably do you are you even aware of a TV show called In Search of? I've heard of it. I don't know if I've ever seen it. It was just all they would. Uh, it was just a, a half hour show. I think it probably. I don't remember if it was a every if it was once a week. If it was a weekend show, I don't remember what uh, how frequently it ran. Um, but it the the basic premise they would just take one weird kind of premise like uh, Bigfoot or the Bermuda Triangle or or crop circles. Weird urban myths. Yeah, exactly. And then they would sit and uh, and Leonard Nimoy would talk about would, would talk about the whole thing. Huh. And uh, if I remember correctly, like pretty much every episode ended basically them saying we don't know if this is true or not. It never really resolved. It never really resolved anything. They were just talking yeah, about weird stuff. yeah. It's like they didn't, they were afraid. To, they were afraid to choose sides. I guess uh, I, I don't know. I just remember loving loving the show because it was the only place you could really go for that kind of weird, weird stuff. And we're yeah. kind of weird like that, so we'd like that. Well, yeah. Well, when I was a kid, it wasn't considered weird. It was just considered being a kid. Oh. Now that I'm 47, yeah. Now it's yeah, now it's weird. Uh, yeah, but no, it's uh, yeah, it was it was it was sad. And I mean, the saddest is I never got to. Uh, I always hoped I could meet the man just so I could do my joke. Can I? I'll do the joke with you. Okay. All right. All right. Here's 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 the joke. And so, in order for in order for this to work, I'm gonna say um um um, and after I say that, you're going to say Star Trek. You got it. Okay. All right. So you're Leonard Nimoy. Okay. I'm Mike Keller. Okay. Oh my God, I know you. You're that. You're that guy from that TV show, the, 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 the science fiction show. You know the the, the, the space show. The, the the um 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 Futurama. That's it. Yeah. That that was my joke. That's what I wanted to do when I met Leonard Nimoy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's probably better off dead now. Oh. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, he would have had to put up with that. Yeah. Hey, Lavar Burton put up with my. Headband joke. Yeah, poor guy. He was cool about it though. <laughs> <laughs> Got a good laugh. That's my that's my missed uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, my bucket list. Uh, I would have yeah. loved to meet him. I always liked I him. A buddy of mine met him uh, uh, quite a few times and said he was a, said he was a great guy. He seemed like a great guy. Yeah, but he's just one of the you, you read about his uh, you read about his life and you just realize that crap. I haven't done anything with my life. Yeah, I'm pretty boring too, Mike. Yeah. It's okay. S- sit down. Making a internet radio show for seven people. <laughs> Maybe there's more than one. Could be. Maybe Jay Dunn will write back. I, I hated that they ignored me. That's hey. it. Yeah. Don't you know that, re- that review? That review was very Heather heavy. I'm yeah. star of the show. <laughs> All right, star. Good. Continue. Easily one of the most recognizable characters uh, in television and film history. He was mostly known for his television work. Mostly, most famously as Mr. Spock in the Star Trek series for over 50 years, but his resumes, blah, blah. but his resume included shows like The Twilight Zone, Bonanza, Dragnet, Sea Hunt, The Outer Limits, and Gunsmoke. All shows I grew up with. The residents at my nursing home watch Gunsmoke all the time. <laughs> That's a good show. He was the narrator of the 1970s hit show In Search Of. That's the one. And has lent his voice to one of the main villains in the popular Kingdom Hearts video game series. Yeah, my son made sure that I pointed that out. Oh, 
because now, because the game will never be the same now. Apparently. I think he voiced one of the Transformers too. I think so. I think so. He was also uh, in the movie, uh, the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Huh. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. He played a guy that looked exactly like Spock. No way. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. The eyebrows and everything? Um, no, different hairdo. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it still looked, still looked like him. Nimoy was also a noted director, author, poet, singer, and photographer. Leonard Nimoy was 83. Yeah, he, had, he was he was cool. I think he had a little art installation at um, in Northampton. Yes, he did. A couple years ago. Yes, uh, a, a couple times I, b- I believe he did because he, he did. Uh, well, he he did like nude photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I don't I don't know if I ever saw I don't know if I ever saw any of his work. I think I stumbled upon it one day when I was up there. All right. Well, okay. I didn't know if you meant like on the internet. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, like in person. What, what, right. What were you searching for? Yeah. It's none of your business. Yeah, well, no problem. Well, that's right. Hey, I'm I'm almost your boss. <laughs> You're my boss part time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that it? That's it. All right. Sign off. I'm Heather Bates, and it is what it is. All right. All right. Thank you, Heather. You're welcome. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Please look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and check us out at Kellustration.com. And support us by purchasing our new Master Series prints featuring Little Nemo and Slumberland. You got four 18 by 24 inch prints, and if you order now, you'll get free shipping on your next order. That's calistration.com. Okay, thanks everybody. We'll catch you next time.